Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week nine in the books. Only six games, but boy, howdy, do we have a lot to talk about. How are you, sir? Are you ready to go? I am ready to go, Joey. Yes. We got some news. We do have some news. You want to just start there? Yeah, tell me about home field apparel, Joey. My gosh, we so for those who are, aren't you know following or, or not following us you know with a microscope on Twitter for sure, uh, we should mention that it was on Friday of last week that we officially became partnered with Home Field Apparel. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with Home Field Apparel, they are a clothing company based out of Indianapolis, and they make shirts, you know, t-shirts, sweatshirts, tank tops, lots of things for both men and women that is embroidered with some of the absolute coolest retro looking logos for college teams, you know, far and wide across the country. Um, absolutely cool, really cool looking apparel is incredibly comfortable. Um, really, you know, we're excited to be partnered with them. Mike, I, I don't know what else to add here, but we are, we are super happy to have our first, this is, I mean, we've been doing this for almost five years now and, it's really kind of the first time that we've been really truly officially partnered with somebody and couldn't think of anybody better to be partnered with than Homefield. They shared a common uh, thread with us from a kind of, I don't want to say angle of the podcast, but kind of how we wanted to build it and yep. how kind of we've been trying to build an audience organically here for a few years. And that's kind of how they got started. So when we kind of talked to them about this, that you know, we hit it off right there because mm-hmm. it was a you know we shared a common thread in how we approach promotion mm-hmm. of our product, right? So you know they promote all their shirts and sweatshirts and awesome college gear. We try to promote the hell out of this podcast, mm-hmm. and you know they've had a very successful run now for a couple of years doing this organically, and we're starting to pick up some steam here as we've talked about over the last few podcasts, certainly. Um, by doing something very similar. So we hit it off right there. Uh, great news for all of you is you can help support our podcast by going and purchasing apparel from Homefield. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you use the promo code GOACC at checkout, you get 20% off your first order. So yep. go check out homefieldapparel.com. It, most ACC schools are represented, and if your school is not, it's likely coming soon. Yep. They're working really hard to get as many schools represent as possible and they have awesome products. You should definitely go check that out. Yeah. Use the code, go ACC at checkout. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Please do appreciate, appreciate anybody who does. Um, as mentioned, I mean, there are a number of ACC schools already represented. There are several more in the works as well. Um, and, and this is extremely unique stuff. Like the, the type of imagery and logos being used on there are very retro, very old school, but not all of them are just, it, it's not all just entirely, um, uh, 
I don't know what you would call it. Like, you know, it's not totally being ripped from old school shirts. Like I, I noticed there's one for Louisville that shows it's the old school Cardinal bird. Um, but it says, you know, something about football Saturdays, Saturdays, as in Scott Satterfield, um, you know, so new, new era type of, of references. Um, but again, really cool apparel. So we're, you're going to be hearing more about them from us, uh, over the, over the next several weeks and months. But, um, just as you think through Christmas gifts, as you think through anything else coming up, you know, Hanukkah gifts is also coming up. Uh, oh yeah. As you think through just, you know, birthdays or whatever, it, what you want for Christmas or Hanukkah or your birthday, or just if you got someone in your, in your life that would really love a new shirt, um, homefieldapparel.com, really cool place, uh, really great people to work with. Uh, lots of good things we could say about them, but, but Mike, we're super excited to be partnered with them. So again, you'll be hearing more about them coming up. Yes, sir. All right, Mike week nine. Um, let's, let's start here. There, there were three games I was going to mention. So, so there were six games in the ACC. There were three of them this weekend that I sat down and I watched basically from start to finish as they were happening. And I, I, I feel like I am compelled to sit here and start by saying, I need to apologize to, to the people before we start talking about these games because the three games that I sat down and watched are the first three games that we're going to talk about in this podcast, and there is just no way that I can do justice properly to all of the nonsense that went on in some of these games. Zero shot. They were wild. They were back and forth. It was a crazy, crazy weekend in, in a couple of these games in a lot of different ways. So let's dive in, Mike. Yep. First off, how could we start anywhere else? Number four, Notre Dame, 47. Number one, Clemson, 40 in double overtime in South Bend. Uh, again, wild game, lots that went on here. Um, it was a Saturday night primetime situation. We, we talked on the preview that we were we thought that maybe Notre Dame could pull this off. We thought that Clemson should be the winner. And as I look back on, on it in retrospect, Mike, I'm, I'm struggling to think of what, what, like what's the best way to really sum up what happened here in South Bend on on f- Saturday night? And let's see, um, co- uh, Coach Coach Swinney, do you got any uh, any feedback for me here? Hey, it was BYOG. Bring your own guts. Bring your own guts. That's a great way of putting it, Coach Swinney. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Bring your own guts was the the key to victory here for Notre Dame. Well done. Uh, again, double overtime win. There was a lot that went on here, but again, Mike. I, if I if I have a macro takeaway here, I gotta say I I don't feel any worse about Clemson. Like Clemson played great, I do feel better about Notre Dame. And and really, my single single takeaway here, goodness gracious, did Ian Book play his absolute ass off all night long? It was unbelievable. Three words to describe the game, Joey. Ian freaking Book. And he didn't say freaking. And he didn't say freaking. Um, he was, I mean, best game of his career by and a mile. It's not, even, not even particularly close. And I, I was trying to think back. He's had some good performances, uh, but he's had nothing even close to that uh, against the level of competition. Everything on the line. Number one team in the country in South Bend. Twenty-two of thirty-nine, three ten, and a touchdown through the air. Fourteen carries for sixty-seven yards on the ground. And that stat line doesn't even really do it justice. I was just going to say how well he played. I was going to say that doesn't that doesn't do it justice. 
he was unreal, keeping plays alive with his feet, making plays off schedule with his arm, hanging in there, taking some hits, taking some shots on the run. Throwing the ball down, down the field. Throwing the ball down the field, which is something that we criticized Notre Dame about early in the year is like the element of the offense that really needed to be uncovered for them to be, you know, truly close to reaching their ceiling on offense. Um, he he took the top off the defense a couple times, some big time throws down the field. There were a couple throws he made to the end zone that actually didn't go for touchdowns that were literally perfect throws that just couldn't be hauled in because, you know, you know, well contested, well defended, you know, what have you. He made so many really good throws, whether they were completed or not, threw the ball away when he needed to, never really came close to to turning it over through the air, had the one fumble, which ended up being a huge moment in the game, which we'll get into, Joey. Um, but he was outstanding. So that's my first takeaway. Mm-hmm. My, my second takeaway from the game itself is that Notre Dame's offensive line took it to Clemson. Um, and this this is because of a number of things. Number one, Notre Dame's offensive line is outstanding. Mm-hmm. And Kyron Williams, in my opinion, Joey, is one of the three or four best all-around running backs in college football. He was unbelievable in pass protection. We could talk about his rushing stats all night. He had the 75-yard touchdown run to start the game. on. It, it, was, Notre, it was technically Notre Dame's second offensive play because they got called for... Um, a false start on on the first play, uh, but it got nullified. But the actual first offensive play from scrimmage, he takes 75 yards to the house or whatever it was. It was unreal. And then Notre Dame's in this position up front all night long where they're facing unbelievable blitz pressures from Brent Venables. He, you know, he's sending five, six, seven. He's a real aggressive defensive play caller. That's why he always got the comparisons when he was first coming up to Bud Foster at Virginia Tech because of how he blitzed. It was a very similar aggressive type mentality for his defenses. Mm-hmm. And that was the case again on Saturday night. And what stood out to me was Kyron Williams as a pass blocker mm-hmm. was unreal. He stood in there a couple times where Ian Book could have just gotten flat out demolished. And he took on the extra blitzer and just laid his body out on the line. He is becoming a really fantastic running back. And he's only, I mean, he's technically a sophomore, but really just a redshirt freshman for for Notre Dame. Um, Mm -hmm. Didn't really play at all a year ago. So he's really good. He had 23 carries for 140 yards and three touchdowns. So he was just outstanding. Um, I I, I, I will say, you know, while we're talking about it, I was a little bit surprised, honestly, that, and, and, and it's, again, credit, like you're saying, credit to Notre Dame's offensive line and credit to Kyron Williams for, for his role in pass protection. But as you mentioned, I mean, Brent Venables was sending pressure all night long. And that surprised me, Mike, because it wasn't really getting home. Wasn't they getting got, home at all. They came home with two sacks on the entire game and I, maybe only a, a small handful of QB hurries. They kept Ian Book relatively clean for a lot of this game. And, and uh, in most of the cases where they weren't able to, he was able to use his mobility to extend plays and, and still get passes off. Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of it, too. It's like Notre Dame's offensive line was great all night. So I, that's that's the story. And Kyron Williams picking up the extra blitzer happened numerous times, and that was a big deal as well, just kind of watching the game. And then Ian Book improvising, right, when you know the play broke down or when there was an extra blitz, blitzer and he had to just kind of get outside the pocket and make a play. He consistently did that all night long. Mm-hmm. And 
he he's really athletic. Ian Book's super athletic, um, really good runner. Uh, but he's always looking to pass first, and that's what was really impressive. He had a couple plays in the game where, um, and notably in overtime on the touchdown pass that he threw, where he he'll bait a linebacker into thinking that he's going to run. And he just kind of gives a head fake like he's going to run, and then he'll just kind of dump a pass off to a receiver, a tight end, what have you. And he did that a few times in this game where he was just kind of forced to make a play athletically in space one-on-one against somebody really athletic on the Clemson defense numerous mm-hmm. times. And he was able to answer the bell every single time, except for that fumble in the second half. Yeah. But outside of, outside of that, I thought he was really, really good. Mike, can we talk about Big Cinco for a second? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Big Cinco. My gosh, my man, DJ Uyunglele. Uh, Big Cinco, they call him. Uh, his dad, Big Dave Uyunglele. Um, Your guy. My guy. I love that guy. Yeah. Um, my goodness, Mike, did he make some throws in this game? Unreal arm talent. That That is, I mean, that is legendary arm strength from him. I mean, he's he's sitting there throwing the ball off balance. He's throwing it off his back foot, and it's just on a rope for 30 yards or whatever it is. I mean, he can make throws that, I mean... Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, like take your pick of NFL legends. They the throws that those guys could not make, he can make. Yep. Like that yeah. is an unbelievable arm. 29 to 44 for 439, two scores, no picks. Like he made good decisions. He wasn't always perfectly accurate, but my goodness, he played a good game at least from a a passing standpoint. Like absolutely had Clemson with a chance to win the game. Against a really good Notre Dame defense, he mm-hmm. throws for 439 yards and two touchdowns as a true freshman. There were a lot of moments. That, now, there's going to be a couple of moments that we're going to talk about here where I think Clemson really missed Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But for most of the night, the, and I, I don't think the story of the game is Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence. To me, I, I there were numerous times in this game where I was thinking, man, DJ Uyangalale is really good. And Clemson's not really missing much of a beat offensively passing. And that's bad news for the ACC and really, <laughs> really good news for Clemson. Once Trevor Lawrence leaves to go see the NFL after the season, mm-hmm. really good news for Clemson because they're going to be extremely dangerous with DJU for years to come here, probably just for three years because <laughs> yeah. he'll be, he'll be the next Clemson quarterback drafted. Yep. I, I, I will say, I do feel like there is a little bit of something missed. Like I, I, he's got a better arm than Trevor Lawrence does from a just a pure like can you effortlessly throw the ball 70 yards standpoint like Trevor Lawrence can't most nobody can he can like he, he can just yep. you know flick his wrist and the ball goes 70 yards like it's fine um, but again like you mentioned kind of from a decision making standpoint and from a just an almost you know infallible accuracy standpoint throwing the ball he's not quite there from what trevor lawrence is at agree so and and as you mentioned mike like we saw that pop up at points during this game you know you had a drive late in the first half where clemson goes down gets kind of near the red zone kind of on the edge of the red zone and can't quite convert you know a couple of incomplete passes means you got to kick a field goal instead of scoring touchdowns right and that was really those are the types of things that i think cause this game to get drawn out now We should probably also mention here, Mike, as we go, um, and 
from a from a macro standpoint here, I mentioned coming in, I, I didn't feel any worse about Clemson coming out of this game. I felt better about Notre Dame. The reason I didn't feel any worse about Clemson is that this game went into overtime as Notre Dame got what I would consider probably two cheap touchdowns in this game. Mm, that's a take. It is a take. Uh, the first play of the game, as you mentioned, Kyron Williams goes 65 yards, and that was uh, technically the second snap. There was a penalty on the first snap. Fine. Mm-hmm. You get 10 yards. Kyron Williams just hit a seam and runs away from the defense. Like Cheap it, touchdown, eh? It's cheap. Yes. Like, it was well blocked and all that stuff, but like... It wasn't like you, you know you ran play action or something, and, and Clemson's defense really screwed up. Like it just, I, it just like you can't do that again. Like that's not that's not repeatable. It's not like it's sustainable. I, you know, I disagree. I mean, he hits a, he hits a hole and goes sixty five yards as breakaway speed. I mean, how many sixty five yard touchdowns did he run for against Louisville two weeks ago? Like, <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's. That's fair. He was their only source of offense two weeks ago against Louisville, and all twelve points that they scored. Yeah, you know, so like, I, yeah, he was it. <laughs> he was it. And Ian Book scored the only touchdown in that game, actually. But Tyron yeah. Williams was like the only guy carrying the ball, really. So and and so I I don't mean to like poo poo the fact that you know you did this, but like I don't think that you came out running the first play of the game saying we're going to score a touchdown right here. Like it it just happened. It's not repeatable. So I'm considering it cheap from that standpoint. Now, the other one, Mike, that I'll consider cheap that I dare you to challenge me on this one. Uh huh. At one point, again, mid-second quarter, DJU flips the ball over to Travis Etienne, and Travis Etienne does I, – I don't really know what that guy's doing lately. Second consecutive fumble. That is just mind-numbing of like – I don't know what's gotten into that guy in the last couple of weeks, that he's had a couple of exchanges of the ball that it, it's with DJU – Yep. And I will tell you right now, this is not that DJU is doing anything wrong. Like it's like Travis Travis is like losing his mind. I don't know what's going on with that. I will say that Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, and I'm mostly saying that just because I want to get his name right. Nailed it. He he almost picked the ball off in midair. Like so interception I don't, level. Etn yeah, like interception level on the pitch, which I guess technically would have been a fumble, but whatever. Etn was looking right at him at a you know six foot three 240 pound linebacker whatever he is running right at his ass mm-hmm. right at him yep. and etn just kind of froze it was like i'm gonna get absolutely drilled because there were two outcomes to that play he was going to die in the backfield <laughs> or he was going to fumble here lies travis etn yeah <laughs> right Anyways. um yeah uh november 7th 2020 yeah, yeah so he got he was going to get drilled there. Um, he kind of just saw what was coming for him and then fumbled. And for a second week in a row, really weirdly, like you said, I don't know what's gotten into Travis Etienne lately, but he has to fumble on the goal line against BC, which would have put Clemson up twenty-eight to se- or twenty-one to seven. That was returned ninety-nine yards for a touchdown. And then he has this happen in the first half on the road in South Bend. Uh, trying to support a freshman quarterback for the second week in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, th- you can't make those types of mistakes. Yeah. And he was going to get killed. And I understand that. And he was a little nervous about that, clearly. But, I mean, he is a senior. He is coming back to Clemson to show that, you know, he's more versatile than just kind of taking a handoff and taking it to the house. He wanted to display what he's done in the passing game this year, which he's been really good. Um, 
but he wants to have the ball in space. Well, this is one of those plays that Tony Elliott designs to get him the ball in space, and he basically just bounced just bounced right off his hands mm-hmm. into Owusu Koromoa's hands, and he went jogging into the house. Yep. Um, I don't know what's gotten into ETN. That was um, – it was cheap from the standpoint of we don't see ETN do that very often, I would say. Um Good. I mean, good defense. That was the best possible outcome for Notre Dame on that play, for sure. Yep, clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know how that happens, but again, Notre Dame easy scoop six on just a dropped pitch. Um, so <laughs> do with that what you will. Um, so the long and short of it, Mike, is that on a seventy-five yard touchdown run on just a simple handoff to the left, mm-hmm. and a a dropped pitch that was picked up by the defense and run in by a, you know for a score. Notre Dame scored 14 of their 23 points in the first half on that. Notre yep. Dame didn't have an offensive touchdown until the fourth, after obviously the first play of the game, until the fourth quarter. That's right. So, again, not things that make me feel great about like Notre Dame really owned this game. Like they took advantage of their opportunities for sure, and that's a huge deal. But you also had a, three drives in the first half where you had 10 plays, 49 yards field goal, 13 plays, 66 yards field goal. Four plays, negative two yards field goal after a Clemson turnover that puts you like certainly within the green zone, kind of on the edge of the red zone. So Notre Dame trying to finish drives in the first half wasn't really there. Right. They had two big plays for touchdowns, and then they had three drives that kind of stalled out in the red zone. And that was that was the thing that I was watching thinking this might come back to bite them. And it mm-hmm. and it almost did, but then it kind of didn't. Yeah. Um I think Notre Dame uh, on the flip side on defense the fact that they were forcing Clemson to field goals in the first half mm-hmm. really helped their cause because you know they had the false start by Michael Mayer true freshman really good tight end for Notre Dame he had the false start at the goal line um, in the first half forced Notre Dame to kick a field goal instead of a touchdown there um, that was obviously a pretty crucial play there, there were a few red zone gaffes by Notre Dame from a penalty standpoint that really hurt them obviously there was the the fumble by Ian Book which hurts a lot. Um, you know, when you're in a situation there where you're going in to score a touchdown and you cough it up, and this is in the third quarter now, Notre Dame has a seven-play, 68-yard drive that ends in Ian Book fumbling at the seven-yard line. Um, well, it, it started at the seven. He really fumbled it like the two <laughs> going into the end zone, um, and Clemson recovers. That's a really crucial mistake by Ian Book, and one of those plays I had circled as, okay, this is where the game changes, because at that point in time, the game was tied at 23. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame was leading at halftime, 23-13. to 13. Clemson had, had kicked a field goal on the first drive of the second half. Notre Dame then punted. They went three and out. Three and out, yeah. Clemson then scores a touchdown to tie the game at 23. And then Notre Dame takes the ball. Looks like they're making a statement drive again to kind of swing the momentum back in their favor, which I was really impressed with because so many times we've seen Notre Dame in this type of environment. We're like, oh my, like when is the tipping point? And we felt like we were there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joey, you texted me and you said uh, Clemson started the second half uh, at plus 175 to win the game outright. Money line, yep. And on the money line. And when they scored the touchdown to tie it, it went to plus 105, I think you said? Um, maybe even just the field goal. I don't remember. Yeah, but it was something yeah. like that. Like, the, the odds dropped drastically quick. Right. Early, point in, the, early be- in the second half. 
yeah, point point being the momentum was swinging in Clemson's direction and the odds makers knew it. And so Notre Dame is now getting the ball back. Uh, they've given up 10 consecutive points and they need a good drive and they get that seven play 68 yards, a couple big time plays. There was a long pass play on that drive that Ian book made that 50, uh, 50 call on the review, but the play stood. Um, so that, that was a 45 yard passage of McKinley to start the drive. That was a huge play and a break that went in Notre Dame's favor. We haven't even talked about the officiating. We'll get into that maybe later in the podcast because we got some statements about that. So say we're um, we're running kind of long here, but this was game of the year material. So there, and again, tons to discuss within this game. Yeah. So so Notre Dame drives down the field. They fumble, and then what I want to talk about, Joey, and it's like goes to my broader point about Notre Dame's defense. I thought this was that, so astute that you texted me this when it happened because you were spot on, hundred percent spot on. Clemson has all the momentum. 10 consecutive points coming out of halftime. You forced a three and out, and then an Ian Book fumble, which Luck swings back. I mean, Book is going in for a touchdown and coughs it up. Luck swings back in your direction. Mm -hmm. This is a gigantic play in the game, right? And I'm looking at you. You and I are texting. I'm I'm sitting there right next to Scott. I'm looking at him. I'm like, dude, this is where the game changes. And Notre Dame forces a three and out. Mm Mm-hmm. Notre Dame hadn't forced a three and out in a while. Clemson yep. had scored on three consecutive. Is it was it three consecutive? Yeah, three consecutive possessions going back to before halftime. They had a field goal before half. They had a field goal to start the second half. They had a touchdown. So they had scored points on three straight possessions. They had thirteen points, and Notre Dame gets a huge, huge stop there. Yep, three and out. That was a gigantic, gigantic play in the game. Then Notre Dame takes the ball back, goes down, kicks a field goal. And then it was just kind of back and forth the whole way. And my overall takeaway from Notre Dame in this game, Joey, and I'm with you. I'm not worried about Clemson. They'll get Trevor Lawrence back. We're very likely going to see a rematch of these two teams in the ACC championship game. Yep. And it'll be all on the line to go to the playoff. It'll Sorry, be fantastic. Miami. Sorry, Miami. <laughs> We're going to get to watch this game again in all likelihood unless something crazy happens. It's 2020. Um, my overall takeaway from this, Joey, is from a team speed standpoint, Notre Dame's there. Mm-hmm. They, they have some work to do at receiver. They need to find some guys. Like, I mean, they, they just lost Chase Claypool to the NFL. We've talked all year about how Notre Dame doesn't have like proven playmakers on the outside. They're starting to find them. Mm-hmm. And from a team speed standpoint, this is the closest that Notre Dame has been to the elite, elite teams in the country in a long time. You just beat Clemson. You beat Clemson in South Bend. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is the premier program uh, in college outside of Alabama. The premier program in college football from a recruiting standpoint, team speed, overall talent level, the skill positions, and Notre Dame hung with them for four quarters and double overtime. Yep. And, and as we mentioned on on the preview, no Trevor Lawrence. Sorry, like yeah, sorry, it, it like, counts. It's legit. We we can't take anything away from Notre Dame. It's not their fault that Trevor Lawrence caught COVID. It's not his fault either, by the way. Um, I mean, and, it could be. You don't know. Yeah, it could, right. Yeah, okay. But it, <laughs> glad glad we're going to have him back here um, in in the very near future. Looks like he'll be cleared. I mean, he's been he's out of the COVID protocol from a uh, social distancing standpoint. He's able to be on the bench and stuff like that. He's got to go through the cardiac stuff with the ACC. But he seems like he's almost cleared, which is yeah. great news. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, Notre Dame from team speed standpoint, Joey, they're there, and they were real close last year against Georgia in Athens, and. It's just kind of the transition of the program from 2016 when Notre Dame was 4-8. and eight. Brian Kelly cleans house with the assistants, 
And all of a sudden, Notre Dame just kind of starts recruiting and chipping away. They get to the playoff a couple of years ago. They don't have the depth, right? Julian Love leaves that game against Clemson. Trevor Lawrence just picked him apart in the Cotton Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a huge deal. We're like, okay, Notre Dame's like a little bit closer, but they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And last year against Georgia in Athens, nobody gave him a shot in hell to win that game. And they went down there and damn near won the thing. Yep. We're like, okay, Notre Dame's probably going to be okay. They ended up winning 10 games last year. Mm-hmm. And now they're 7-0. and They're number two in the country in today's AP poll. And they just beat Clemson. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm excited, Joey. You should be. You're a Notre Dame fan. Like, yeah. I feel like this is the closest I've seen them to being like elite in a long time. I don't think they're, I don't think they're Ohio state, Alabama level yet, but they're yeah. the closest they've been. Well, and that's, that's what we were talking about last night after the game was that I, I feel like, again, having watched them do this, having watched them last year against Georgia and, you know, things like this, like to me, Notre Dame is legit. What I would call second tier. Good. Um, mm-hmm. I, there was a pretty clear tier one of Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama at this point. I there there's still a little bit of something missing to me about Notre Dame to getting to that tier one and it's like you mentioned I think it really is that skill talent on offense um, and especially at receiver and tight end there there's yeah. just a little bit of something like they it's it's not like dominant you know talent at that position that's it's certainly not a running back problem with Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams yeah no I, it, <laughs> that's not the problem that's not, not the, the issue that hasn't been at ND for a while it hasn't been running back and I feel just absolutely god awful saying this right now like 24 hours after this game ended but I'm also not completely convinced how can like regularly dynamic and outstanding Ian Book is like that's fair there's a reason that we're talking about this is like he played the game of his life is because he did and this is such an outlier performance from what we've seen from him before and and what does a bad performance from ian book look like it's still fine like it's not bad like (laughs) he's not going to go out there and throw four four. he's not throwing four picks and you know completing 40 percent of his passes like that's never going to happen but can he go out there and consistently throw the ball down the field and, you know, take deep shots and hit them and, and exploit coverages and do these things? Like, uh, I mean, he did it last night and that's, this was the first Ian time. books. This was Ian book ceiling. Yeah. I don't think there's a game that Ian book can play. I mean, I, I'm, I'm open to being wrong about this. Trust me. That that's only mean good things for Notre Dame moving forward. If I'm wrong about this, Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a game in his career that he'll be playing for the rest of the season because he's a senior, assuming he doesn't come back next year. I don't think there's a game that he'll play the rest of his career here at Notre Dame that'll top what he just did on Saturday night against Clemson. I just yeah. don't think there will be. He was literally the the stat, like I said, the stat line doesn't do it justice, and the stat line was damn good. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think we'll ever see that again. He's a very high floor player, doesn't turn the ball over. He's really efficient throwing the ball, but he is not like high level blow the top off the defense make all these like ridiculous plays athletically when you're like oh my god he's the best player on the field he was one of the best players on the field last night yeah. but he's not that consistently any he, and to be fair brian kelly and tommy reese tommy reese called a great game by the way we sure did and tony elliott did for dju as well it was pretty, um, yeah Couple issues I had there, but mostly good. Yes. Yeah. High high level offensive football last night, mm-hmm. and um, they don't ask Ian Book to be in that situation very often, where he's got to carry the team. And he he didn't necessarily have to carry the team last night because they ran the ball pretty well for most of the game. But when the going got tough, 
Ian Book put the offense on his back last night, and you mm-hmm. don't see that you don't see that very often. But he was ridiculous. Yep, absolutely ridiculous. Last thing, Mike. Best quarterback in the ACC is Trevor Lawrence. Yes. <laughs> Who's the second best? Well, that, that's my. Is it is it Ian Book? You're hesitating. It, it tells me no. Is it DJ Uyangalawe? I mean, I mean, it could be. Than, is, is he better than Sam Howell? He might be. So that that's my point, though, is that if we can't definitively say that Ian Book is the second best quarterback in the ACC this year, he's certainly not. There you go. That that in and of itself is kind of the reason I'm still a little bit skeptical of Notre Dame. He had a yeah. brilliant game last night. I don't know that he can do it again. That's that's the big final take home there. Yeah, I mean, I think he is. I think he's definitively, definitively third as far as regular starters are concerned. Mm-hmm. Let's remove DJ from the mix because he's not going to be starting right next week. Yeah, so let's remove him. Yep. Um, I I think it's Lawrence Howell, and then I think it's Ian Book. I think so. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's totally fair. Um. So, okay, that, that, that's kind of just the way I wanted to kind of frame it a little bit. Um, yep. Really, really good. Maybe not outstanding. Notre Dame 47, Clemson 40. Mike, it's been half an hour. You want to uh, move on to another we had, game? We had, a lot, we had a lot to say there. We covered almost everything there. As mentioned, yeah. Like, like I said, I, I don't know that we could do it justice. Maybe we did, though. I, you know, I think we did okay, I think. It was pretty good. Um, I, I totally forgot to mention that whole last drive of the end of regulation where Notre Dame tied the game. That was really good. But in, <laughs> in the interest of time, we move on. Yep. Mike, uh, the number 25 Liberty Flames, 38. Your Virginia Tech Hokies, 35. Uh, Virginia Tech, unranked, lost to a ranked Liberty team, as we all expected. And, you know, Hokies lucky to keep it close. And all is well in Blacksburg, right? I would like a redo of the mailbag. Stop the count. That we did. Stop the count. God damn it. Stop the count. Stop the count. Um, Oh, man. Clock. Goodness gracious. Clock's clock's ticking for Fuente, Joey. And I had mentioned on the mailbag, if you haven't listened to the mailbag, go back and listen to it. We recorded it last week, and a lot of it's evergreen content, which means you can listen to it whenever, and it's not time sensitive. Go back and listen to it. It was a good episode, yeah. It was a good episode. We classified, if you haven't listened to it, we classified head coaches in the groupings of uh, retiring soon, um, could be fired soon, or could bolt for another job soon within the next two years by the end of 2021. Yeah, basically coaches that are reasonably likely to not start the 2022 season in their current job. Right. So that's how we framed it. And we put Fuente in the... Job is safe for now, could bolt. Now, mm-hmm. we didn't have the foresight of seeing how the Virginia Tech-Liberty game would go down, not only just losing, but the way that Virginia Tech lost. And, Joey, I'd like to amend my statement, if that's okay with you. Can I amend my mailbag response? I'll allow is that allowed? It. Yep, I'll allow okay. it. Okay. Um, instead of putting the Justin Fuente, Justin Fuente in the category of uh, likely to bolt, I'd like to put him in the category of likely to be fired. Woof. Um, this game was this brutal. W- if this was not a COVID year, Joey, he'd be out. Mm-hmm. Out at the end of the year. This is an unacceptable loss. I told you before the podcast started, this is, and we'll get into all the details, but this is on the level of Georgia Tech 
losing to the Citadel. And people are going to listen to me and say, oh, my God, how can you say that? Liberty's much better than the Citadel. You know, uh, Georgia Tech's in year one with Jeff Collins. And it's like, OK, it's a bad loss, but it's something that c- can be fixed later. We're in year five of Justin Fuente. Virginia Tech yep. was a two touchdown favorite for the second for the second time in three weeks. Virginia Tech has lost to an opponent as a two score favorite. Yep. Lost the game outright. And the way that they lost. I'm going to have an aneurysm. <laughs> I was going to say the audio didn't break there. Just Mike is lost for words here. I'm going to have an an Fuente Fuente's done. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. I, I like Fuente a lot. He's he's a nice he's a nice enough guy, nice family, all that. He's done. In, <laughs> he's done in Blacksburg. Yeah, he's done in black. He is absolutely done. No, and if, yeah. if Tech if Tech had the money, it would be after this season. They don't have the money. I don't think it happens after the year. Maybe they find the money, and I'm wrong. I'm not the finance guy in the athletic department. I am pissed about this. Yep. This cannot. This cannot happen. This is of epic proportions and the only reason i'm i'm more mad about it is because of what happened at wake forest two weeks ago i've mm-hmm. now watched this happen two out of the last three weeks yep. it's unacceptable the team is not ready to play on a weekly basis and the recruiting blows yep the recruiting is absolutely terrible and i was i was going to let it pass for a while i'm like oh they had you know the worst they had the worst recruiting class in the power five last year but you know it was a weird it was a weird year it was a small class they didn't hit on a couple of big recruits then the 2021 class is like going to end up being in the third in the in the high 30s, low 40s, probably. Okay, fine. We're getting back to like recruiting towards the 20 to 25 range. I'm like okay with that. It's like an intermediary step. I'm willing to give it a pass if the team plays well on the field. The team lost games last year to Duke in the worst home loss in school history. Mm-hmm. They lost to UVA, a team. It was a great UVA team, so I won't take anything away from them. That's a game that Virginia Tech could easily won. They got outcoached in the second half. Hadn't they lost in into, 15 years. Yes, hadn't lost in 15 years, so a decade and a half. That that game goes haywire. You lose the Commonwealth Cup. You go into the Belk Bowl against Kentucky. Kentucky is literally playing a wide receiver at quarterback. He's thrown like five passes since week two. He ran for like 400 yards in that game. Yep. I and Tech just couldn't stop him. And then Virginia Tech hires Justin Hamilton as the defensive coordinator to replace Bud Foster. Justin Hamilton is in his third year on the staff. He was an analyst, he was a safeties coach, and now he's a defensive coordinator. This team is not ready to play defensively on a weekly basis. No, they're not. I like I like Hamilton enough. I think he's got a bright future in coaching. It's not going to be at Virginia Tech, though. I know he I know he was a guy who played for he played for Bud Foster. He played for Beamer. He's a former player. He's got a bright future. Everybody talks about how how like how good he is going to be later on. Um, this defense sucks. It's not the good. Defense, the defense sucks, Joey. Yeah, you can't give it. You're, you're giving up 38 points to Liberty. Liberty's opponents coming into this matchup had won four games this year. Mm-hmm. Four. They played six opponents who have four wins combined. Yeah, they lost. Tech lost to this team at home in year five under Fuente. Year five. Yeah. No, this this is a this is a total mess for Virginia Tech. I let me. I'll, I'll take it for a second. I'll let you. You know. This is even without the details of the game, which even, yeah. which makes this even worse. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll, I'll dig into those for a second, at least Thank you. from a medium-high-level standpoint. I'm going to keep I, drinking bourbon. I do. Yeah, you should. Um, yeah, pour one out for the homies. Um, I So I, I was going to mention, you know, and you mentioned earlier that this was comparable to Georgia Tech losing to the Citadel. And 
yeah, we can sit here and have conversations of, well, year five, Virginia Tech and, and Liberty versus year one, Georgia Tech and Citadel and, and this, that, and the other. I think that really, truly, the the closest comparison that comes in there is that there are certain losses that, as a coaching staff, that you take that I'm not going to say that you can't come back from, but boy, howdy, have you dug yourself a hole that everyone's really curious to see how you dig yourself out of it because he was out of he was out of goodwill when he lost 45 to 10 at home to a duke team that didn't make a bowl game last year he ran out of goodwill then and he comes into this year we gave him a pass for the north carolina game because tech had like god and everybody out due to covid on Mm -hmm. defense Mm -hmm. so you give him a pass for that the team isn't ready to play against wake forest that was an inexcusable loss and then they do this against liberty Joey, that's before even talking about the Furman game last year at home where Virginia Tech was trailing 14-3 to at halftime and the entire student section left. I took a picture of it from the press box, and I had Barstool Sports retweeting it <laughs> because of how embarrassing it was for Virginia Tech. I, I would say Fuente went all in against Duke last year on, on that Friday night and lost and then started getting those house markers that you can play at the table with where you know you're just taken out alone. And he lost that against Wake Forest. And then he took out some more markers. And now he lost again against Liberty. Um, So, once again, Fuente in a hole that I don't know how you ever dig out of it with Virginia Tech's fan base. He's done. He's done. with The fan base is done with him. Message boards are exploding. Twitter's a bloodbath. I've been trying to stay, like, relatively quiet because I do attend the press conferences. So I try not to be too ridiculously critical with that in mind and that's another thing too joey that i need to mention and the reason why i say that comment some people are gonna listen to that and they're gonna be like oh you're home or whatever no this is what happens with justin fuente and this coaching staff they restrict media access if you mm-hmm. they they have blocked out the media from practice um and and i'm not just talking about this year with covid i'm talking like the media can't really get much information from the program joey Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by restricting media access. They don't really let a lot of people in from the standpoint of like even good press, like yep. stuff that would be good, like giving a walk on a scholarship or honoring all the scholarships of your players during COVID. Right. Like that's something you might want to talk about. Yeah. Like honoring the scholarships of players if they elect to opt out because of the COVID pandemic. Yep. Like Caleb Farley, for example. Like that's good press. Yeah. Like why wouldn't you disclose that information? So no, yeah. you run out of – that's a whole separate thing, but you run out of goodwill, Joey, when you're mm-hmm. doing that stuff, and then you're losing games on the field to teams that, let's face it, in the height of the Beamer era, you're beat, and Liberty's not the same program now. I get it. But you're beating teams like Liberty by 40 and 50 points at home. Yeah. It's a gimme win for a bowl game. Yeah. And, and as we mentioned coming in, I mean, this isn't, this isn't just like a total crap-ass Liberty team. Like – they're good team. F- they're functional. They move the ball. You know, th- th- they're okay. Like, but in year five <laughs> under Fuente, you, yeah, you can't lose this game. Can't lose it. And, and what we did. said, what and what we said was, we said if Virginia Tech defensively didn't come out sharp, Liberty could score on them. And lo yeah. and behold, Malik Willis, despite a couple turnovers, found a way. He sure did. Um, yeah, a couple couple things I'll mention from this game, just more tactically, kind of what happened. Um, 
<laughs> First of all, as somebody who's pick of the week and somebody whose only actual real you know investment in a game this weekend revolved around this game going over the total of 67 and a half, and somebody who felt really good about it, I got like late in the first quarter, Mike, and I had a real pit in, in my stomach. And you know why that was? Is that Liberty had had the ball twice, and they a team like Liberty, who normally on offense is high octane, up tempo, slinging the ball around, you know, using space, chunk plays, trying to score a million points in a game. Liberty was all of a sudden employing the tactic that I've brought up like each of the last three weeks on this podcast around. If you want to pull the upset when you're you know you're uh, outgunned. Slow the game down, limit the possessions. Like, like they were going no huddle and lining up and staring at the sidelines for thirty seconds. Yep. <laughs> like every Sit on play. the ball, it, playing keep away. They were sitting on it. They played keep away. They had the game. They had the ball for almost thirty-eight minutes of this game. Like, and, and part of that too, by the way, as you've mentioned, or as you kind of alluded to, at least, uh, Liberty was getting third and four almost, you know, constantly. And they were getting it, Mike. Like Virginia Tech's defense yeah. could not, could not get off the field in this game, and it was it, that was that was to me the biggest crime here for Virginia Tech was that that defense could not get off the field. It was yeah. it, and it was a mess. Um, Liberty goes up fourteen to three at one point. Virginia Tech comes roaring back. They got a turnover at one point that set up a score before halftime. Pause. Yep. Pause. No Khalil. No Khalil Herbert after the opening kickoff for Virginia Tech. Somehow forgot to mention that. Yeah, Khalil Herbert uh, goes out on the opening kickoff, pulls a hamstring or something like that, and next thing you know, the run game is Hendon Hooker and everybody a else. A bunch of fairy dust, I guess. I don't yes. know. Like you're just hoping at that point. Um, yeah. Um, and Hooker not why go, they lost, by the way. Not no, why they lost. Just not want quite, to mention no. that. Yeah. Hooker, 20 carries for 156 yards and a touchdown. Like When he ran the ball, it actually went fairly well. And Hooker was good. I mean, he... God bless Hendon Hooker. Like, he, he played... Honestly, what I thought was a pretty, you know, pretty much a hell of a game for him. Um, he was great. He was he was great. I mean, ran the ball well through. I mean, again, second he was ten of ten for one eighty five last week. He mm-hmm. went twenty of twenty seven for two seventeen and three touchdowns through the air. Yeah, you mentioned the one hundred and fifty six yards on the ground and a touchdown. Second week in a row, uh, we talked about how poorly he played against Wake Forest. For the second week in a row, he answered the bell mm-hmm. in the running game and the passing game. Yeah, he's the only thing keeping uh, outside of Khalil Herbert, of course, who didn't really play in this game. He is the only thing keeping Virginia Tech afloat right now. Yep. No, afloat, no absolutely. So to speak. Rel- relevant offensively as well. Yeah. So. No, he was outstanding. Um, I I guess let's just jump to the end, Mike, and what happened. Yeah. So, again, as an overbetter, I'm watching most of this game with a feeling in the pit of my stomach of, like, Liberty's just going to just suffocate this game and, and do nothing with it. Yeah. Um, honestly, like the points per possession, like I should have been in great shape. And yet again, Liberty just sitting on the ball the whole game and Virginia Tech's defense not getting off the field at all yeah. ever. And to, and to put that point in context with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Virginia Tech had the football for the third time in the second half. Yeah, that's it, not a typo. That's not a misstatement for the third time in the second half. Virginia Tech possessed the football. Yeah. With seven minutes to go in the football game. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah. Tech had the ball five times in the first half. What? Uh, four times? Five? Maybe five times in the second half? Like, it was yep. a low, low possession game. Liberty's sitting on the ball. They, they couldn't get him off the field. 
And Mike, what happened from there, I, I mean, I don't remember all the exact proceedings, but the long and short of it was Liberty has the ball. Um, the game is tied at 28. Liberty has the ball with about a minute and 40 seconds or so to go. I think Virginia Tech maybe only had one timeout. One timeout. Um, Liberty's got the ball on like the 15-yard line. And at that point, I'm watching it like, well, duh. Like, Liberty's just going to take a couple knees and let the clock run down and kick a field goal with like no time left and win the game. And then Virginia Tech lets them score. So Good, now good it's, move. It good was move. A, it was a great move. And it, it was almost weird to me that Liberty let that happen. So Liberty, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Liberty kicks it off to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech marches it down the field and scores a touchdown. So your boys' miracle over hit. It was, mm-hmm. it was great. I was, I was celebrating. That was all I really cared about. But so then Virginia Tech has scored with like thirty seconds left. Shout out Caleb Smith. Yeah, that was that was good. Great catch. Very good stuff. It was brilliant. Um, Liberty starts working the ball back down the field, and then Mike. What happened from here, and we're going to have to revisit this here in a little bit when we get to awards, and you just imagine where this is going. Um, so Liberty is it has the ball with eight seconds left, and they're going to kick a field goal from what looks like about 58 yards or something. It's, it's pretty obscene. Like it, This is an irresponsible field goal, and I'm watching them line up for this thinking something dumb's going to happen here. They're going to get it blocked, and it's going to just come back to bite them. And that's going to be Hugh Freeze as hell. Like, and then what happened, Joey? And then they lined up, and they kicked the field goal, and it got blocked. And Jermaine Virgi- Waller. And Virginia Tech picks it up, and they ran it back in, and they scored a touchdown as time expired, and the game was over, and the Hokies won, and they survived, and it was like it was a miracle, unbelievable win, and my gosh, like Fuente was slowly sliding off the burner of his, of his hot seat. Except. Except. I kid you not, Justin Fuente called timeout before the ball was snapped. And I don't care what he listen, – listen to his excuse in the postgame presser. He said that he called a timeout, and he always calls a timeout in these situations to make sure he has the correct field goal block personnel on the field. Why do you need to call, why do you need to call a timeout for that? Mike? He was trying to ice the kicker, Joey. He's he, full of shit. Mike? He was trying to ice the kicker. He, he, he's been coaching there for five years now. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you need a timeout to make sure you have the right personnel on the field to block a field goal? This was a kicker in Alex Barber for Liberty, by the way, who was two for four on field goals outside of 30 yards this year. Really big biceps, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. I yeah. Got some um, guns. Doesn't miss arm day. <laughs> Does not miss arm day. No. Um. Yeah. So... So and and Mike, honestly, the the timeout before the field goal, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a bold statement here. Not his worst coaching move that he made. That was not that was not the biggest coaching mistake here. Agree. Because I agree. Wh- because what happened then? <laughs> what happened next, Joey? Again, I swear to you, and just like let's just you know avoid wasting any more time. This is our go ACC moment of the week. All the, this yes. this whole <laughs> yes. yes. There was like a five minute segment here that is just the giant go ACC moment of the week. Yeah. Um, Let's just tell the people what they need to hear. Let's just tell so, them right here, 40 minutes into the podcast. This is your Go ACC moment of the week. We're on sure game is. two. We're on game two with a recap. So you've called timeout to undo your team blocking the field goal, running back in, and scoring a game-winning touchdown. 
And in response, with eight seconds left on fourth and five, Virginia Tech... Fourth and and six. uh, Excuse me, sorry. Fourth and six, Virginia Tech comes out with three guys on the line of scrimmage, two other guys in the TV frame, and like six guys (laughs) at the goal line or something like this. Prevent City. And Liberty brings out their offense, and they just very calmly take the snap, throw a quick little pass for like nine yards to an uncovered wide receiver who just calmly catches the ball and calmly steps out of bounds because nobody's covering him. And now there's like three seconds left. And now you've got like a 10 yard closer field goal, which your guy comes out and, and hits and wins the game. Yeah. Which- Malik, Malik Willis threw it to CJ Yarborough for eight yards to the Virginia tech 33. And at that point there was five seconds left on the clock. So three seconds came off the clock on that quick little pass out to the outside totally uncovered to not only keep time on the clock and get out of bounds, Joey, but pick up the first down and make that field goal only a 51 yard attempt. I, I mean, <laughs> just, just when you thought that maybe Virginia tech figured something out by letting Liberty score so that they could get the ball back and have a chance in all this, like, Holy smokes, Mike. Like what on God's green earth are you doing? Fuente Fuente went from doing something smart, which was making so first of all, Virginia Tech should never have even been in the situation against Liberty. But here we are. Sure. They have to allow Liberty to score a touchdown, right? So that they can ensure they get the ball back with enough time to get a score of their own, right? And Liberty possesses the ball and you block a field goal, run it back for a touchdown, except you call timeout to ice the kicker, and then it's fourth and eight, fourth and six with eight seconds left, and you're in prevent defense, leaving that receiver totally uncovered. Ultra, ultra prevent defense. Ultra prevent. Not like prevent like 15, 20 yards off the ball, like prevent 50 yards off the ball. Like on the goal and, line. That's it. And on the goal line. And Will, all Willis had to do was take the snap, throw it to the outside to pick up the first down with no time left, get eight yards closer for the eventual 51-yard game winner. It was the worst coaching I've seen. These guys make, I, I don't know what, Fuente makes over $2 million, I think, and I don't know what Justin Hamilton makes as the defensive coordinator, but Doc is pay. <laughs> Fine him. <laughs> I mean, he should be, I, th- these, co- these coaches should be incarcerated. For for the end of for the end of game decision making on defense, it was criminal. Epic. Yes, bad. It was criminal. I mean, absolutely abhorrent. Absolute mess. Can we move on? Uh, yeah, I have nothing else. This I Fuente, mean, Fuente's toast, Joey. I don't yeah. know what they don't have the they don't have the money. I don't know how they're going to do this. Sometimes sometimes the marriage doesn't work out. Yeah, right? it's not working out in Blacksburg. Fuente's done. I'm, I, I, fan base is out. I'm. I've tried to be a proponent of him, tried to be fair. I think I am being fair. He's gotten a lot of chances. You can't lose to Liberty in year five. This is the second loss as a double-digit favorite in the last three weeks. You're in year five. It can't happen. you got a lot of seniors on the team. Yeah. He's, he's done. He's done. He's toast. He's not recruiting well. He's losing games he should win. They're probably going to lose five, at least five games this year. they got Miami and Clemson still on the schedule. They're done. Yep. Tech's done. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, and I, I'm not a guy that I'm going to act like, well, I've always thought Justin Puente was going to work out. Like there's been a couple of years now that I've been a little bit skeptical of him and this yeah. coaching staff. Yep. Um, and, and you're correct. I mean, you have done your part to try to not like stand for them, but like 
like you know you give them the benefit of the doubt and they've had some good moments over the years and and like and all this stuff but my it's goodness done. it's done and i and i don't, I don't think, hate come back from this like I, I don't either i don't either and i'm not trying to be unfair to this coaching staff but like i look they don't really have a signature win yeah um that's that's a problem and they, they got more i mean they got far more uh, let's call them signature losses than anything you'd put in the signature win category and that's a problem especially in year five yep exactly and and to go back to what we were talking about at the very very beginning of this game is you know this this kind of loss i don't know how you come back from it in the same way that you know jeff collins in year one losing to the citadel you might have to win the division or something to make people start to forgive you you know and forget about that so it's yeah that that's the degree of severity and like you you can't fix this like this is, is turning into a mess so i th- that's all i got here yeah i mean him him keeping his job beyond the end of next season would be shocking mm-hmm. i to be to be honest if virginia tech finds a buyout money at the end of this year uh, it's 2020 there have been things that have surprised me far more than that yep, so absolutely liberty 38 uh Virginia Tech thirty five. Let's Jesus. we're we're fifty six minutes in here, Mike. We've gotten through two games. We've only got six six of them entirely. Uh, there, and yet there's still one more that we kind of need to hit on in a fairly yeah. significant manner. Number yep. eleven, Miami Hurricanes forty four, NC State forty one on Friday night. This game was this game was a mess, Mike. There was a is, lot that went on here. Is Miami good? I I don't know, and and frankly, so we we got over this hump like like a month and a half ago, right? Like, and, and we, we posted an episode where they had beaten the snot out of Louisville and we agreed. Yeah. Miami's legit good. And now in retrospect, that hasn't aged very well. I think De'Ara King is legit good. He had 530, he, he had 535 yards of offense and five touchdowns. Dude, build a statue of that dude outside of hard rock stadium. Like, and you know what? Build a statue for Rhett Lashley too, Joey, because Rhett yeah. Lashley is, yeah. he knows what he's got and he's going to ride that horse until he's euthanized. Those careful. Those <laughs> two guys right now are the reason that Miami's not like three and four. Like, and they're the reason yeah. that, that Manny Diaz is, almost certainly going to be the head coach going into next year. Like, because if, if this team was anything like they had been on offense last couple of years, like it would be looking horrible right now. Like those two guys by themselves are willing this team to win games left and right. This is the same team as Miami's had the last few years, but they have a quarterback. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's really just the defining difference. And they don't have the elite defense that they had when they won 10 games. Was it 2017? Yeah. When they won 10 games and went to the Orange Bowl and got dogged by Wisconsin. Had like um, the number six defense and like a barely top 50 offense or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they they were like, they looked like a playoff team. They, I, I don't want to even say they looked like a playoff team. They, they were in play the playoff hunt and ESPN wanted them to be a playoff team yeah. because of ratings and everything's good you know memes and Co- all that yeah yeah and college football makes a lot of money when miami's good but like they lose to Pitt, blown out by clemson in the acc championship blown out by wisconsin in the bowl game and this this defense that they have now is not as good as that one the it's offense not. is better the offense is better in my opinion um and you give a little you take away a little bit but I mean, you give up 41 points to NC State, and I get they can run the ball well, but that wasn't even really the issue in this game. Like, NC State ran the ball okay, but it's not like it was this 
barrage. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Very odd. Very odd. I don't know. So much went on in this game, and honestly, Mike. Again, so uh, Miami wins. Derek King was outstanding. Like ridiculous. If not for how out of his mind Ian Book was against Clemson, like Derek King is a pretty obvious player of the week candidate and pick here. Spoiler. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, he has been again. He has been the lone convincingly consistently good thing about Miami's offense in the last mm-hmm. month, month and a half. Um, can I, can I take a second and talk a little bit about NC state? Yes. Uh, because Mike, I am nothing if not a well-defined and, and well, you know, pointed out NC state hater. And I hate Dave Doran and <laughs> I, I don't like the wolf pack and I don't have anything good to say about any of any of them at all. Right, I don't, and I still don't really know why. Have we established that at this point in this podcast? We we have, and I still don't really know why. Again, I can't emphasize that enough. Mike, I'm done talking trash about Dave Doran. Good, good. We're done with that now. I'm done with it because like this NC State team has no business being this good, and yet they have been. Yes, this is his. This is one of his best coaching jobs, in my opinion. It absolutely is. Like they like. This is a team that I thought was going to maybe go like three and seven or whatever in the ACC, and they have gone four and three so far. Like yeah. they've played seven games and they've already won you know more than I thought they would. They've been good. Not to mention, Mike. Before we get even to that, like I felt like a lot of the reason that they were good was Devin Leary, and they, there was yeah. a, there was some development there, and you know there was kind of a revelation. And I felt like, well, okay, you, you know, you caught lightning in a bottle, Devin Leary. That's great. Lost Devin Leary a couple weeks ago, and they came into this game with Bailey Hockman, to which we were rolling our eyes, saying, okay, mm-hmm. like Bailey Hockman, who is wildly inaccurate and, and just not good in so many moments. Like, right. Bailey Hockman was good in this he game. He was. He looked he was. great. Best best game I've seen him play as NC State's quarterback. Absolutely. Um, really, really good performance from NC State on a lot of levels. I still, at this point, as I have watched all of this game and all this, I, I don't know how this turned into the shootout that it did. So there's still a little bit of that that I'm trying to figure out. But yeah, what I do know at this point is if Bailey Hockman plays like this week in and week out, I, right, Devin Leary who? Like, yeah, I know. And, and I won't have any more questions about Dave Doran because you had a down year. But if you can keep developing quarterback talent and offensive talent like this, like you're good. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so they also <laughs> lost the game, which sucks. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So uh, <laughs> Chris Dunn, uh, NC State's kicker, hits a 53 yarder with 1455 in the fourth quarter. So right at the start of the fourth quarter, he makes a very long field goal to put NC State up 41 to 31. Give him the old uh, suck it. Giving them the old suck it. Excellent celebration. (laughs) One of the best celebrations I've seen in the ACC this year, except NC State didn't score another point after that. Miami outscores NC State 13 to nothing the rest of the way. You know what, Mike? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Chris Dunn, honorary ACC player of the week. (laughs) For the cross chops. What was better? What was better? The 53-yard <laughs> kick or the celebration? I think the it celebration. might be the cel- I think it might be the celebration. It was the celebration, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he he celebrates, albeit a little early, and <laughs> NC State doesn't score again. But that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
look, NC State has a very good chance, and I congrats on Miami for getting out of there with a win. NC State, I thought, played really well. Um, Miami scored a ton of points, which was encouraging because they hadn't been doing that lately. So good for Miami to light up the scoreboard. NC State, Joey, they have potential here to not lose a game the rest of the way. So I want to want to point that out to you. Um, I hadn't they, thought about that, but let's take a look. Okay, they play Florida State at home this Saturday. Mm-hmm. They are home against a feisty Liberty team. Says who? They are. <laughs> God damn it! They are at Syracuse <laughs> on November twenty eighth, and they are home against Georgia Tech to close out the year on December fifth. I think there's a high probability they at least go three and one in that stretch. I think they could potentially win all four. I, if you're waiting for a retort, I don't think I have one. That's what I'm saying. So I, I got one. No, you're right. They, they, I mean, eight and three is on the table here for NC State. Eight and three is ACC Coach of the Year for Dave Doran territory. Um, yeah. I mean, I won't. I won't anoint him with that like right this moment. But if you end up there, like he definitely deserves to be in the conversation. With a backup quarterback, and it's a COVID year, mm-hmm. and you don't really have a good defense, and mm, yeah, he will be a candidate. I'll, uh, look, if NC State gets to eight wins, it's going to take eight wins for him to be in the conversation. If he gets to seven, it's like, all right, you know, you had a good year, you exceeded expectations, you're probably not coach of the year. If he goes eight and three with NC State, considering what they were a year ago, and considering losing the starting quarterback this year, I. <laughs> He's in the conversation, Joey. Yeah, for real. And there's a lot of football left, and we'll we'll see where everything shakes out. But I think he's definitely in the conversation, and I think NC State can definitely win all four of these games. No, completely agreed. I I, I completely agree. And again, they're gonna be favored. They're gonna be favored in all four. Again, I I I'm gonna admit when I'm wrong, Mike. I, I yeah. am happy to. Whatever criticisms I've had of Dave Doran, whatever shortcomings I felt like he has, like this team this year is proving me wrong. So, mm-hmm. like, good on NC State. It is good to see them. Like, and and we can take a step back. Like, again, they lost this game, and and this <laughs> losing this game the way that they did sucks. Sucks and, a lot. Yep. And this is yet another example, as it was pointed out a number of times on Twitter, is losing this game in this way is just the latest example of what we would call hashtag NC State shit. Like yes, correct. It is giving up a fifty-four yard touchdown pass with under three minutes to play is not the way you want to go out. Just like up the middle, like it, it didn't like as you watch it happen, you're you're like, oh, that's a that's a good you know fifteen yard pass over the middle of the field. Like we'll see if he can stretch it into twenty-two or something like that. And then next thing you know, there's just nobody there in the middle of the field and he's just gone. And yeah, by the way, credit Mike Harley, because speaking of dudes playing their asses off in the last like month of the season, my goodness gracious, Mike Harley has been outstanding in like three last four games. Yeah. Uh, quickly evolving into an all ACC player. Yep. And that pass to Mike Harley, like you said, it was like, all right, nice little pass over the middle. Uh oh! Turn out the lights because nobody's home, Joey. Yep. There was nobody in the back end of the secondary there for NC State. That was bru- a brutal, 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 brutal way to lose. Yep. Yeah, that, that was tough. So, credit to NC State. You know, I, again, a game where you were like an eleven point underdog at home and to have the lead with four minutes to go, outgained by outgained by two hundred and ten yards, and you lose the game by three. Yep. Backup quarterback, like all this stuff. Yeah. I. 
I, I just got to tell you, like, there is no shame in, in losing this game and losing it the way that they did. Like that, they played it really well, and you know, you could look. It's funny too, looking at the turnover numbers. They were minus one in turnovers. That was a turnover on the last offensive play of the game for NC State, where it was. Bailey Hockman throwing the ball on target and it was just a, mm-hmm. a tipped ball situation like yep to avoid turning the ball over for 59 minutes and 30 seconds against Miami like and you're playing from behind in that situation too so you yep. don't put it all on Hockman obviously and he threw an accurate ball so it was pretty much a turnover free game because you're yep. just you got you got to take some shots at the end there but you're out gained by 210 yards you lose time of possession by six minutes you you know, trail and first downs by six. Like there, there were a lot of stats that go against NC State here. They only lost the game by a field goal. And yep. shout out, shout out to Miami for putting 44 on the board and 620 yards of offense because we hadn't seen the combination of the two in a while. It's been one or the other. Yep. Miami 44, NC State 41 on Friday night. Mike, I'm just gonna just gonna drop this grenade in the room and walk away. Mm-hmm. I think Miami might be fake good. Um, well, I mean, Vegas thinks that too. Virginia Tech is a two and a half point favorite at home against Miami next Which week. Shoe buddy, do we need to talk about that? Let's move on. Man, Mike. oh man. Yep. Pittsburgh forty one, Florida State seventeen. Did did this game make you feel any better about Pittsburgh or worse about Florida State? Probably worse about Florida State. If if anything. Worse so about Florida State. We we had a nice little uh wrestling moment here where mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett showed up unannounced. That was uh, fun, huh? Sure was. Uh, so his backup, Nick, well, all, his backup's backup, Nick Patty at quarterback, had three rushing touchdowns, or excuse me, two. Five carries for three <laughs> yards and two scores. That explains <laughs> the story of Nick Patty to everybody. Um, Kenny Pickett, we didn't think he was going to show up. Well, he did, 21-27 for two tenths and no touchdowns and no picks, which... Right on schedule for Kenny Pickett. Um, yep, welcome back. Everyone's back to normal here. Yep. Vincent yep. Davis, 13 carries for 50 yards. Once again, right on schedule. Uh, another another really good game from Vincent Davis. Yeah. And that's, that's very good for him. That's what he does. Yeah. No, it was weird, Mike, honestly. Like, looking at this final score and looking – uh, let's just be – I'm going to be real honest with the people. I didn't, I didn't watch this game while it was going on. I, I didn't. Um, I watched it at an uh, outdoor bar. Yeah. Well, Parts of it were outdoors. Anyway, you want to uh, like explore that any further, or like uh, not not re- not really. <laughs> it's it's just look. I, I'm to be politically correct. We're not supposed to be at bars during COVID, right? But yeah. they were. You know, it's a nice socially distanced atmosphere. Wear so. your masks. Support lo- local businesses. That's fine. Correct. Um, they had a patio. Whatever. Mike, you look at the final score here, and then you look at like the box score, and you you quickly start trying to like put the pieces together. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Nick Patty, by the way, is like the funniest name of all time. It is. It is pretty good. Um, so, so what? The long and short of what happened here is that first off, Pitt blows the over in this game, uh, or excuse me, busts the under by running yeah. back a pick six late in the game, uh, where it was like it, it was like the ball was thrown up for grabs caught like a punt at about the 50 yard line and the Florida state offense, like threw their hands up and they're like, well, screw it. Game's over. Never mind. Yeah. I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I get this right. Cause I was in on the under at 52 points, Joey, and mm-hmm. it was 31 to 17 Florida state or excuse me, Pittsburgh. Like at halftime. Almost. Uh, well, 
right after halftime. Yeah. Um, so it's 30, it's, it's 31, 17 and I'm not feeling good about that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the totals at 48. We got basically an entire half to play. I'm not feeling good about things. And then there was no scoring for a really, really long time. Um, there was a field goal that Pittsburgh kicks who, how much time left in the third quarter? Not a lot. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. This was early fourth quarter. Yeah, they about kicked a field goal. Left. Yeah, so that that was a possession that started late in the third, went into the early fourth. Um, they kick a field goal to get the total to 51, right? So it was 34 to 17 hit. And then I'm like, you know what? Everybody stop scoring. Stop the count, please. You know. And then Florida State threw a pick six, Joey. Yeah, it was ugly. Um. You know, as this game went on, Mike, I think the big message here to me was that Florida State started this game in the first, like, 10 or so minutes of this game. was They were the better team. I agree. But that's also a little bit of kind of what we've seen from Florida State. And for those kind of that understand what this means, like, when Florida State is on script to begin the game, they're really good. Like, even coming out of halftime when they're on script, they're typically pretty good. And yeah, it, you know, the long and story short of what a script is, is usually you go through practice throughout the course of a week and you come into the game saying, well, here's the first 20 or so plays that we're going to run on offense. And you've been drilling those plays over and over, you know, almost in order all week long. And when Florida State is doing that, they're good. Like they Agreed. can execute it and move the ball and all this stuff. And then after that. It all goes to hell, like really quickly. <laughs> the drive chart for Florida State is something to behold. Mm -hmm. um, so they score this theory perfectly. Yeah. So so Pitt opens a game by making a field goal. Florida State as goes Pitt ten does. plays as Pitt does because they don't <laughs> score touchdowns. Uh, Florida State goes ten plays, seventy five yards touchdown as a response. Um, on script. It was a, uh, on script. Wyatt Rector touchdown run. Um, Pittsburgh proceeds to punt on the next possession. Jordan Travis, 88-yard touchdown run to cap a three-play, 95-yard drive. It took a minute off the clock. It's 14-3 to Florida State. We're feeling really good about the Seminoles, like you mentioned. Um, let's talk about the rest of the first half, shall we? Florida State goes... Jordan Travis, don't listen. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the part where you want to just go listen to some music or something. Um, interception. Turnover on downs, punt. Turnover on downs, punt. Uh, took a knee and a half. At least one of those turnover on downs, too, was... a a pretty ill-advised, weird, dumb decision, I felt like, mm. by Mike Norvell. Mm. Mm. Um, it, and, and really, as you mentioned, again, that's what, six possessions that went bad enough that coming out to start the second half, we had James Blackman at quarterback who promptly handed the ball off, got a couple yards, threw an incomplete pass, and then threw an interception. Yeah. And then he was out. Yeah, uh, that second turnover on downs was the one that you're alluding to. They go for it on their own side of the field, lose a yard. Pittsburgh gets the ball. with <laughs> They're at the Florida State 47 when they start that possession. It's a bad and decision, Pitt, a terrible play call. Like, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah, and Pitt proceeds to score in three plays. It was a nine-yard run by A.J. Davis. Kenny Pickett throws a 28-yard pass, and then Kenny Pickett has a 10-yard touchdown run. Welcome back. Angle's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Long and short, I mean, Pitt ends up kind of extending the lead. And as you mentioned, I mean, there was a, a bit of a nonsense pick six to, later in the game that really put the game away. Chuba Purdy. 
yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we got a Tebba Purdy situation, you know, in the fourth quarter, fine, whatever. I, I mean, let's say this, good for Pitt coming out of the bye week to come out, get it done, win the game. Good on you. Like, good stuff. Um, nice getting Kenny Pickett back. And I will say this, this, this offense, not particularly good with Kenny Pickett, a lot better than it is with anybody else at quarterback. We talked about this with UVA with Brennan Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Similar situation. Not particularly great offense. A lot better when the starter's in. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, whatever whatever issues we have with the offense under Kenny Pickett, it really only gets badly exacerbated when he's not in the game. So, yeah. if you can keep him in there and keep him healthy, you're giving yourself a chance, at least in a lot of these games moving forward. Yeah. Um, so, so, to summarize, both of these teams are bad. Pitt is less bad. Yeah, no, Pitt's, Pitt's definitely less bad and could potentially be functional at times. You know, it just kind of depends right. on a couple things, but... Their ceiling's functional, I think. Yeah, but uh, this... I don't think that this final score really points to Pitt being a great team as much as it does to Florida State. I mean, just was was borderline god-awful in this game. Like, this... Th- yep. like. I, I tweeted this out this afternoon, kind of rewatching this game to a certain degree. I think Florida State was about three for fourteen on turnover attempts in this game. Yeah, they turned agreed. the ball over three times. They tried to turn it over like almost a dozen other times. Just horrific ball handling, making horrible decisions, trying to throw the ball while you're being sacked. Like this, this game, as bad as it seemed, it could have been so much worse for Florida State. Like it was bad coaching, bad decisions. I don't know what's going on. Um, this was not what I expected to see from Florida State coming off a of bye week, um, and, and it's not making me feel a whole lot better about what we got going moving forward. I just remember when we previewed the game, you said, you know what, I'll take Florida State. And I said, why? You're like, oh, well, coming out of a bye week, new coach, I'll take Florida State. Yeah. But you had no no real sound reasoning. It was just no. like, you know what, uh, it, it's coin flip time. We're taking Florida State. A little bit of a fade Pittsburgh thing, a little bit yeah. of a... I'm ready to be hurt again by betting Florida State kind of thing. I mean, yeah. Was, <laughs> Moral yeah. of the story: We should have just asked Siri to do a coin flip. I should have kept fading Florida State. That's yeah. It's been a profitable venture over the last like two and a half seasons. I need to just agree. Keep going back to that. <laughs> agree. Pittsburgh forty-one, Florida State seventeen. Uh, two more, Mike. North Carolina fifty-six, Duke twenty-four. Duke didn't really uh, drag this down into a slog like I thought they might. Yeah, we can make this quick. Um, it was forty-two to ten, North Carolina at halftime. It was 42-7 uh, three seconds before halftime. Yeah, they got a late field goal there, Duke did. Mm-hmm. Um, this was real ugly by the Duke defense. Um, North Carolina scores touchdowns on their first, and let me just make sure I have this right. I did. Um, all six offensive possessions in the first half. There was one additional possession, Joey, that was a kneel down. So. Is that is that good? Um, it's not bad. So all right, good. They score touchdowns on all six of their real first-half possessions. The final possession of the first half was North Carolina receiving the kickoff and then taking a knee with two seconds left on the clock. So this game was over quickly. Uh, we're done with the David Cutcliffe thing at Duke, right? We're done. He can retire now. We're done with that. I, I think this might be about it. Yeah, I think we're done with that. Um, Chase Bryce, maybe he can take his spot as the coach because he certainly can't play quarterback. 11 of 23 for 155 yards in interception, 5.4, uh, 5.4 QBR. Um, There's a lot going on with that passing line. <laughs> yeah, uh, none of it real good. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina, real balanced offensive attack. 
235 through the air, 338 rushing as a team. Javante Williams, big day. That's about it. Duke got games left against Wake Forest at Georgia Tech, home against Florida State. They get next mm. week off, and then that's their their final three weeks. Um, I mean, frankly, like Duke could still go two and one against that stretch. Um, yeah, they could potentially win all three. That's any of those is on the table. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm with you. Like, it's not like this was some like wildly difficult schedule for Duke, but it it definitely feels like it might be time to move on from Cutcliffe. And the problem is Mike, at that point, if, if you're moving on from Cutcliffe, I, I don't know what you do from there because Cutcliffe Maybe. has been so historically remarkably good at that job. I don't know who you go get. Yeah. Maybe that's why you don't necessarily force him to retire, mm-hmm. but, uh, they've isn't been working anymore. They've been bad for a few years now. So this isn't just like, oh, we're going to overreact into COVID year. They're one, six in the ACC and two and six overall. Now, this isn't an overreaction to COVID year. They didn't make a bowl game last year. Um, they haven't been good for a few years, Joey. Yep. And this is, you know, we had David Cutcliffe in the retire category on that mailbag podcast mm-hmm. that we did. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> we've seen some rumors lately, and I think that could potentially come to fruition. But who are they going to hire? That is a story for a different podcast. Yeah. I, I'm still of the opinion that no matter how bad things get anywhere, I still think he's the only the only head coach in the ACC that will reasonably not be the head coach of that team next year. I I do not Agreed. think Virginia Tech can can reasonably fire Justin Fuente. I don't think Syracuse can fire Dino Babers. I don't think you know anybody else can get fired. And I think he is the only one that legitimately could retire after this season and just be done with it. And so I yeah. think that's really the only difference we're looking at. Agree, yeah. Just retire versus fire. I mean, athletic departments are bleeding money. It's just yep. hard to fire a coach right now. Yep. Good win for North Carolina. I mean, beat that ass. Two. <laughs> the bounce back that they needed. Yeah. Wasn't close. Oh, can we talk real quick? I, I don't want to. I don't want to drag this out too long. Please. Uh, but at this point, it's you know we're past point no return. Sure. Um, Sam Howell and I'm going to look this up so I get this correct. Um, Sam Howell posted a picture on Instagram of him smoking a cigar with uh, a couple teammates and a coach. And it says, God is good. They were not. They were (laughs) sitting by the uh, honorary, whatever that trophy is, that bell that they get for uh, the victory bell, bro. Come on. Like, what are we doing? God is good. Duke is not. Was the (laughs) caption. And it's of him smoking, he and his teammates and the coaching staff smoking a cigar. So we will we will post that on social media for you all to see. Absolutely incredible, savage, savage move Legendary. by Sam Howell. Yep. Too good. Yep. North Carolina 56, Duke 24. Last one, Mike. Boston College 16, Syracuse 13. I don't have a whole lot to say about this game. I'm not going not gonna to lie once again. Not a game that I watch every play of, we'll say. Um, but by all accounts, Boston College, every little bit as hungover as we thought they were going to be after last week. Syracuse uh, didn't have Rex Culpepper, started Jacoby and Morgan at quarterback, and I mean, I don't know, moved the ball like a little bit, but it is what it is. I, there's nothing to learn here. Boston College, yeah. a significantly better team. That I mean, they missed a couple field goals and. A lot of things that went on here. Boston College is a much better team. 
the score was a lot closer than the game really was, and there's nothing to judge either of these teams by. Syracuse still bad. Boston College sneaky better than we thought they were going to be. Uh, yeah, I I went out drinking on Friday night. I went to a brewery. As one does, yeah. And had stouts and IPAs and most of my fiance's pale ale that she didn't want to drink anymore. <laughs> so I was uh, feeling some type of way from my morning tea time on Saturday. Yep. And I was at Boston College. I can't decide who was more hungover at kickoff. I think it's probably BC since this game kicked off at 2 o'clock for some reason. Um, sure. Yeah, it did. I, I, I was coming out of my hangover a little bit. Uh, Boston College was not. No. But they won the game. Yeah, they did. The the higher level point here is Rex Culpepper did not dress for Syracuse, and they had true freshman Jacoby and Morgan play, and he wasn't really all that bad. He was 19-30 for 188, had a touchdown, had an interception. Interception wasn't good, but it is what it is. Um, he's a true freshman. Uh, Rex Culpepper is a senior, and Syracuse is 1-7 and seven and 1-6 in the ACC. Just roll with the young guy rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Syracuse ran a grand total of 51 offensive plays in this game. I mean, I, what do you want to say? Like, just yeah, Syracuse doesn't have it this year. Um, I we've had discussions about Babers and whether that continues on into next year and all that stuff. I don't know. We'll see, maybe. But it, it sure is starting to seem like that 10 and three team was the outlier, not the. Uh, four and eight team last year or whatever they oh, ended up being. Yeah. Like, ten and three ten and three is officially the outlier. Yeah. So absolutely. Yep. So there it is. Boston College sixteen, Syracuse thirteen. Mike, you want to go out some awards for the week? I yeah, we we got some stuff to say here. Boy, do we. Uh as mentioned, Mike, the go to see moment of the week. Already we already gave that out. That was your Virginia Tech Hokies. Uh <laughs> blocking the game winning field goal, running it back in for the touchdown, got called back for the timeout. Then not covering the pass at all that became a, you know, <laughs> a shorter eight field yard, goal. Eight-yard gain for a yeah. shorter field goal. Yeah, no, that, that was a total mess. So, go ACC to you, Justin Fuente and company at, at the coaching staff for Virginia Tech because... Embarrassing. Jeez, OP. Uh, so, there was that. Uh, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you tried to word, Mike. We, we got some special little seasoning towards the end of the Clemson-Notre Dame game as the referees had no interest in watching Dave Chappelle host Saturday Night Live. They just wanted wow. to draw the game out as long as they humanly could, and boy, did they. The, the refs and I had something in common, Joey. Is that right? <coughs> yeah, because I didn't watch Dave Chappelle Saturday Night Live either. <laughs> um, sorry, I almost died there. Um, I'm alive now. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was something else. I, I think they're still reviewing plays from the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it got this to the podcast point where is under review. Yeah, this podcast is under review. I mean, it got to the point where Dabo and Brian Kelly were both so frustrated with the officiating that it was like, we don't even really care what the call is. And you mentioned this before we hit records. Like, who cares what the call is? Just like stop reviewing plays, please. Yeah. Like, let us let us go home. Pretty absurd. Um, so total mess from the ACC. I think we said they mentioned they ran. They were able to snap the ball three times over like seventeen minutes of real time. Thanks to all the reviews. Yeah. And at yeah, one no point time. there was a review that then they came back and gave the results of that they had to go back and review the review. Like, yeah. So that's that's the level we were at. So that was fun. that was the uh, that was the Clemson touchdown pass to on the first play of overtime that got overturned and then they had to review the touchdown run and ended up reviewing that twice. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Good times. 
Uh, and Mike, speaking of which, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week Award, we can't really pass up the opportunity to give this to Clemson. Yeah, we really can't. And this is something I we actually probably didn't do a great job of uh, when we kind of recap this game for a half hour earlier in this podcast. <laughs> um, Notre Dame's Notre Dame's rushing defense was outstanding. Clemson uh, non sack adjusted rushing stats: thirteen carries for thirty four yards and two touchdowns. Thirty three carries, and that includes only two sacks. Yeah. So thirty one non sacks resulted in. 34 yards plus, I don't know, a couple are here or there. but Yeah, Travis Etienne, 18 carries for 28 yards and a touchdown. Also had that fumble that we talked about. So mm-hmm. uh, he really couldn't get anything going. Shout out to Notre Dame's front seven. They kept trying to run the ball. So, Kobe. Kobe. <laughs> Mike, uh, player of the week. I, I, I'm i just going to go ahead and claim Ian Book. I mean, yeah. are you on that train as well? Yeah, I mean, Ian Book's the winner. I And... DJ Yui Agalale in a losing effort. Big Cinco. Four, yeah, 439 and two touchdowns. Hendon Hooker had a really nice game for Virginia Tech. But the. Derek King. Derek King is the. Yeah, so if. Yeah, the non Ian Book recipient has to be Derek King. He mm-hmm. had uh, whatever it was, 535 yards by himself. That's, that's pretty good. I think I would take yeah. that. Literally carried Miami to victory mm-hmm. on Friday night. So mm-hmm. I think it's got to be. Pierre King outside Ian Book. Yeah. Uh, only other shout out. You know what? Kenny Pickett, you came back. You're healthy. Took Pittsburgh to a victory. Good on you. Sure. Honorable mention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Team Very of the week. Honorable. Team of the week's got to be Notre Dame. Team of the week's Notre Dame. Honorable mention to our non-ACC team this week, Liberty. Yeah. I, well. <laughs> do the jingle. Yeah, do the jingle. You're up, Mike. It's you. Liberty, 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 liberty. Liberty, 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 liberty. Yeah. Big yeah. fan of the uh again, the Limu Emu. I, I, I will stand for the Limu <laughs> Emu, too. Mike. Me too. And Doug. Um yep. so good stuff there. Mike, I think that's all I got on uh on week nine. Yeah. I mentioned well, yeah, we mentioned Notre Dame team of the week, so yeah. That's all I got. Anything else? Uh, sorry for the hour and forty minute podcast or whatever it was, but whatever. Hour, hour and thirty. We're we're in good shape here. We we yeah. we managed to pull this thing out at the end. Um, we're gonna get out of here, Mike, and we're gonna come back and we're gonna preview some week ten games. And in the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man: Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Yep. Use the code GOACC at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. You like college apparel? Go check them out. They got really nice stuff. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, Mike, the the kind of things that they have on there and the type of schools they have on there. Yep. You don't got to go to those schools. You don't have to be an alumni of those schools. I know a bunch of like Georgia tech alumni that have a whole bunch of gear from Colorado school of mines and slippery rock and Cornell and take your pick of, of you know, kind of like small time schools that have really cool shirts there. So go check out home field apparel. Appreciate those. who yep. have shout out Bowling green. Yeah. Shout out Bowling green. <laughs> They're on there. They're on there. You want to rep Brian Van Gorder and Scott Leffler and the boys? 
it's on there. Go do it. Somebody's uh, got to do it. <laughs> we try. We try. Yeah. Um, and Mike, you know what? Just throwing a little nugget out there for anyone who's still listening here an hour and 32 minutes in. Go find us on Instagram. Oh. At BC Podcast ACC. Go find us there. We're, we Go might be there. there. We might be there. You never know. We could be there. Yep. So try that. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? On to another week in the ACC. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It is a blessing that we just have college football right now. So this is good. So It's, an, it's a needed distraction. It absolutely is. From absolutely literally is. everything. Yeah, from the entire yeah. world for the most part. Yeah. So we will come back and preview week 11, and we will talk then. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.